Jesus, Jesus. We trust you, Jesus. Your name is above every name and you are good. And you are proof that our loving father is good and sees us and knows us. As the story of the, the song of the world just kind of keeps changing around us and things get turned upside down. The song that we sing to you stays the same because you stay the same. Jesus, you are the same today as you were yesterday, as you will be tomorrow. We trust, we put all of our trust in you. So God, we thank you for this community and we pray that you will come in a powerful way Remain with us, sit with us in the power of your Holy Spirit and speak to our hearts that we might follow Jesus more and more, that we might continue to come back to the life that you have called us to, continue to see strength and boldness and confidence in the life of the believer that you have set before us, your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, again, welcome, welcome back or welcome for the first time to Providence Church. We, in the month of August, have been in this series called The, the Comeback. So you see that, that image up on the screen and it's, uh, it's had some, it has boxing gloves clearly on the image. And for, I've, honestly, for the first couple of weeks of this series, I've been like, why do we have boxing gloves on the, on the image? And then it kind of like hit me this week as we've been, what we've been doing together is walking through the story of, of David. And how he was called to fight and to struggle and to come back to God with strength and confidence over and over again. But before we get to his story, I want to share a couple of stories just like here from Providence, if that's okay with you today. Is that okay? Okay. Um, good. So what I wanted to tell you is that last, last week right here in church, I, I, was, I was telling uh, Pastor Jacob and, and many of our team this as well. It, like, it felt like every week that as we continue to walk forward as the church that there's just more and more of a comeback. So this for us right here in this room, this is Thursday, our, our Thursday night come, comeback, right? Coming back to that. Last week here in church, we had this uh, beautiful, amazing message preached, beautiful time of worship. And then in each service, we had all of Prov kids would come in here. At one service, we had about 100 kids up here, up front. The second graders received their Bible, and it was amazing. And then that night, we had 160 students um, coming into this room, and they were worshiping. They had to, actually, many of them had had a big long weekend of, of, of being in camp together. And then they welcomed, we welcomed our sixth graders into the student ministry and it was beautiful. Like there's moments of comeback that are just over and over again. I wonder if you have some of those comeback scenes in your life that maybe you haven't even noticed. Another one I wanna share with you from here at Providence Church, this is a picture of Christy Hamilton. Some of you might know, know Christy. She's from right here in our community. You might know her husband, John, her sons, Trey and Jacob. They're an amazing, amazing family. They are kind and they are generous and they are faithful. And I, of course, I would say that about many of you, but they, I don't know a whole lot of families as amazing as the Hamilton family. This picture of Christy was taken on August the 4th. So just a couple of weeks ago when she was having her last round of treatment for breast cancer. So uh, earlier this year, she actually reached out to me and, and told me that she had been diagnosed with, with cancer and she was getting, began these rounds of a treatment over and over again. And then on August the 4th, after four rounds of chemo, 20 rounds of radiation, she got to this date and she's celebrating her last 
round of treatment. So go ahead and yay for Christy. <laughs> the story of how she actually found out and got to that place is, is a miracle in itself. Her, her mother was diagnosed for can with cancer right before she was, knew kind of the signs to be looking for, and saw them in Christy and had her get it checked out and was on this road to, to healing and recovery. It's amazing, and we get to celebrate that with her. I think that there's a reason that we use this term rounds when we're talking about cancer treatment. Um, it, if you or somebody you know has been through cancer treatments, you know, like they, they kind of come in waves, the treatments come in waves, and then in between sometimes you feel like you get knocked down. You feel like you get, get laid flat, like you're out of energy and kind of like for a while you're just feeling like it just hit you like a ton of bricks. But then there comes a moment where you can kind of take a breath and you get up and you go in for the next round. Why do you do that? Why do you do that over and over again? Like it's a hard, hard journey, but life is worth it. I think Christy would say it's worth it. I know the Hamilton family pretty well, and I know that they have been through a lot of other things besides this just in the last few years where they could say, I'm just going to lay down. But they just keep getting back up and they just keep fighting and, and moving forward. They are experienced fighters and one of the things I identify in them. You know, they know, how, they know how to do like the, the back and forth, the bob and weave, the like jab, jab, hook. Clearly, I'm like an expert um, boxer since I know those terms. But uh, <laughs> sometimes we wonder, you know, in the middle of, of difficult times, like a pandemic that seems like it's not going away when we thought it was going away, right? And so we might ask a question like, how many rounds do we have to go? How many rounds are we going to keep, keep doing this thing? I imagine Christy would agree with this thought. When God is in your corner, you go as many rounds as it takes. When God is in your corner, you go as many rounds as it takes. So the comeback, we're in the midst of a comeback. We don't even know exactly what all that means or what all that looks like. But if you are fighting to get up again, right, probably it means that you recently got knocked down by something. That's kind of makes sense, right? So maybe it's an illness, Maybe for you, it's a broken relationship or grief or a lost job in the, these recent years, anxiety or depression. And there is no shame in saying, you know what? I got knocked down. It just, it happened to me. I got knocked down. We've all been there a time or two or 20. <laughs> when you're fighting to get back up again, who you have in your corner matters. And that idea of getting knocked down takes us right to the next part of this story of David. If you've been with us in, in this series, we've been kind of talking about the story of, of this guy named David in, in the book of 1 Samuel. And on the first week of this series, Pastor Gary was preaching and he invited us to think of this story in terms of like a series of episodes, kind of how we talked about it. So, so the first, first episode from a couple of weeks ago was the selection of an unlikely future king, a young shepherd boy named David. Episode two was that same David, young David, taking down a giant and saving the lives of God's people and saving them from slavery. So this week is episode three, and you might think, well, that seems like a good place for the whole series to just kind of wrap up. <laughs> it, seems like it's, it seems like it's over, like David is victorious. Our, the guy that we thought was the hero is actually the hero, right? Little guy beats big guy. That's the end of the story. And if you know anything about how good stories work, you're expecting something to go wrong <laughs> at this point in the story, right? 
there's got to be a problem or else the story is over. And we've got a few more episodes of, of, of our story here. So, so what's it going to be? So there's this, this tension that I feel like comes from a couple of different things. Here, here's where we kind of get to continue our story with David. There's, there's this tension. And the first tension point, I think, is that at this point in the story, we think that David is the hero of the story. He's not. <laughs> David is not the hero. But at this point, it looks like he is, right? We have every reason to believe that David is the hero of the story. The second reason, the second tension point that we have, uh, if you remember episode one in this story, uh, Samuel, a prophet, went to David and he anointed him as king. And well, where we are right now, David is not the king, right? So this is kind of a tension point. In fact, king, uh, Saul is the king. And so Saul actually represents the tension in the story, which allows us to keep, keep going. So we're going to keep going in, in the story. This is uh, 1 Samuel 18. The story ramps up really, really quickly. So hold on. Uh, it says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, so Goliath, David and Goliath, after David had killed Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This is what you do when the king comes close. You get up, you go out of your house, you go down the street, you go to where the king is passing by and you celebrate the fact that the king is coming by. Even if the king isn't traveling and after a moment of victory, you would do that. You would still go and you would celebrate the king and you would greet the king. I remember, I think we do some of this still today. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, Boris Yeltsin, was president of Russia at the time. He actually came to my hometown. I have no idea why he came to the middle of Kansas, but he did. <laughs> and I remember seeing his car drive by and seeing Boris Yeltsin in the window, through the window of the car. And I was like, that's Boris Yeltsin. He's not even my king, right? But we came out to celebrate him, to, to, to welcome him, to, to, to even kind of honor this, that this guy would, would come to our town. Or I remember when Ronald Reagan, this is dating me way back, but um, there was a guy named Ronald Reagan that was president a while back. And um, <laughs> when he was first running for president, my dad took me to go meet him. He was coming through the, the place where my dad worked. And so can you picture like five-year-old Mark shaking Ronald Reagan's hand? Yeah, I got to shake his hand. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. I didn't know who he was, but I remember that moment. <laughs> I remember that moment of shaking this guy's hand, who obviously now I know who he was. Here in Nashville, you know, on a regular basis, right, we'll have presidential or presidential hopefuls coming through town. And what does it do for us? Causes traffic, right? <laughs> like they shut down the interstate, right? All of that. Um, the, the reason that it shuts down the interstate, the reason they have to kind of shut things off is because people want to come and celebrate the, the, pres the leaders, right? They want to come and they, sell, they want to thank them for all they've done, tell them the great job they've done, or give them advice. One of, the, one of those two things. <laughs> Notice though, when, when Saul comes into town, it was the women that were named that were there. I think there might've been more, but this, this identifies that the women came to greet him and to sing songs. And I think that's really significant. Like Saul is dealing with some ego issues here. I think it's fair to say that King Saul is dealing with some ego issues. And he, like most kings, likes to be praised, likes to be told how great they are, how strong they are, how handsome they are. 
like to be adored even sometimes by the ladies, right? So that's what he's, he's kind of in the middle of this. And although this looks like a victory parade, and it was a victory parade for God's people after Goliath was slain, it wasn't really a victory parade for Saul. It wasn't really his victory. He kind of looked weak in the middle of that. And so these, these ladies, they come, the women, they come and they sing in front of, of Saul and they say, you've killed thousands, but David, he's killed tens of thousands of people. This is the song they sing to their king. <laughs> and then his next verse says, this is from the New Living Translation, says, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. I love that translation. I love that phrase, a jealous eye. You may know what it's like. You, you know, you, you see somebody, you've kind of got like contempt for one other person and you're just looking at them and you can't stand them. But at the same time, you want to be them, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Saul's looking at David with a jealous eye. So why did all this make Saul mad? Why did it make him jealous? Well, first of all, Saul probably had been responsible for the deaths of thousands of men. That's probably true. Now, David, on the other hand, at this point, had been responsible for, we just heard the story last week, exactly, say it with me, one man, right? He's getting credit for 10,000. He had killed one. Now, it was a big man, a giant, right? But still, right? It was just one person. So in his jealousy, Saul takes his first swing at David. Actually, he, he throws a spear at David. He tries to, to, to pin David to the wall with a spear. He tries it twice. He fails twice. Now, not only was Saul mad and jealous, he was actually afraid as well, which is starting to look like a trend with Saul, if you, if you notice. Next verse says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. I put that in italics so you can say it with me. The Lord was with David. This is a big moment. It's important. It matters who you have in your corner. So would Saul have been afraid of David if he had, say, like a thousand men in his corner? Well, apparently not, because the next verse says, so he went, he sent David away from him and gave him command of over a thousand men. I don't understand Saul. I don't know if you, I don't understand his leadership style. I don't understand, like he's, he's got this mortal enemy who's kind of like this newly risen guy that he's got to take down and he gives him a thousand men to walk off with. Uh, you know, there's a couple of different theories. Like he's, he's wanting to make sure that David is out there in harm's way the next time there's a battle coming. So he'll be with that, that group of people and he'll hopefully die in some future battle with the Philistines. But after this point, it says, Saul becomes even more afraid of David because in everything he did, David had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Now, after this, there were, more rounds between Saul and David. In fact, the next 13 chapters is like this big, long cat and mouse game between Saul and David. Now, if we had more time and we didn't have a big party setting up outside for us after this was over, we could just walk through 13 chapters, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna go step through it quite that way. Here's how it goes. David runs from Saul. Saul chases after him. Saul gets distracted. David hides out. God sends help for David. Saul actually tries to use his daughter to trap David, to set him up for defeat. And then she becomes his wife and she actually falls in love with David. It backfired on Saul. Saul's daughter helps out David. Saul's son helps out David. 
There's a, a priest who helps David to escape. And that same priest gives David the same sword that Goliath carried, which David cut off the head of Goliath with. He has, it's like back in his possession. And on and on this kind of thing goes for, for all of these, these chapters. Saul can never seem to land the fatal blow on David. So finally, we're going to fast forward. Chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, there's this scene where Saul takes a break in a cave. I'm going to actually read, it to you, read part of it to you. This is from 1 Samuel 24. This is talking, so, so Saul had been chasing David. He got distracted for a little while, and he goes back to chasing David, which is kind of his, his pattern. And so there comes this point where it says in verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, um, I actually, I did a little bit of study on this, and relieve himself might not mean what you think it means. Um, he was actually kind of going in to rest his feet or cover his feet, but he was going into this cave where unbeknownst to him, David and his men were actually hiding in the back. They were, they were already in the back of the cave, but they were back in the dark, so he couldn't, couldn't see them back there. And so his men say to him, say to, to David, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then it says, then David crept up unnoticed, and I'm just going to like insert something here. I think possibly he had in his hands the sword that he had used to cut off the head of Goliath, okay? It's possible. It's not, it didn't say that, but I mean, it's possible. He had something to, to cut with. He walks up to Saul unnoticed, and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. That's not where you would think that this story was going. He goes up to him and he just, instead of taking the final blow, taking this opportunity that he had, he cut off the corner of Saul's robe and Saul didn't even notice it. And so David kind of backs away from the scene and instantly, this is kind of weird, instantly David is convicted about what he's done. I mean, he could have killed him, but he's convicted that he cut off the, the corner of, of this robe and he goes back to his, to his men and he says to them, you, you can't go after Saul right now. He says, he says this, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. What did he say twice right there about Saul? He is the Lord's anointed. Why does David insist that Saul is the Lord's anointed? Well, if you remember the story way back when David was anointed to be a future king, it was Samuel who did that. He, anointed, he put oil on him and anointed him to be the king. That same Samuel had done the same thing with Saul years before, had anointed him with oil. And some scholars actually think it might have been the exact same oil that was used on, on both of these men. So what David is kind of processing and thinking through here is this is part of God's story. This is part of God's plan. And I am not meant to kill the Lord's anointed. God's ways are mysterious. So he lets Saul leave the cave. And then just a little bit later, David follows him out of the cave and he begins to speak to Saul. And he's like, Saul, I have the corner of your robe in my hand. I was in there. You didn't even know it. I could have killed you. And then he kind of pleads with him and says, you know, let's let God kind of work this thing out between us. You're trying to kill me all the time. Let's just let God kind of, kind of figure out what, what is supposed to happen here. And then in this strange kind of turn of the story, Saul agrees to that. He begins to shower David with all this praise. And he says, I've been trying to kill you. You could have killed me. You didn't. You're a righteous man. And he even admits that one day, 
you will be the king. So they kind of have this, like what feels like an agreement and they go their separate ways. Again, looks like the story's over, right? Like we kind of have, we have what feels like resolution and, you know, David's done, done pretty well in this. The match is over. There's like a, been a T, TKO, right? But you don't really think that, right? <laughs> you don't really think that that's going to be the end of the story. No, Saul walks away and his anger returns to him. It begins to bubble up again and he returns in his pursuit of David until one day and seven chapters later, aren't you glad for all this fast forwarding I'm doing for you? You go back, go back and read it. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot here. Seven chapters later, Saul and his sons end up dead on the battlefield at the hands of not David, but the Philistines. So this battle and this whole long, drawn-out battle, it wasn't pretty, but David had survived round after round after round of Saul's attacks, and he was ready to live into this anointing that he had received. He would be a king that people would revere and admire. It says he would be, he was a man after God's own heart, right? He was a writer of the Psalms and Psalms of lament and Psalms of worship. We still talk about him today over and over again, but he would be far from perfect. See, the best that we can do with our lives, any of us, is what David did with his life. Kind of even unknowingly about what the future held, he was pointing others to the true king. There's only ever been one perfect king. The only one who is actually the son of God. The only one through whom all things were created. The only one who can really save us. The only one who is our rescuer. And so when King Jesus comes close, we go out to greet him. And we sing praises for all that he has done for us. And we sing of how he, God's anointed Messiah, our rescuer, has defeated not thousands of men, not tens of thousands of men, but he has defeated sin and death and offered victory to all men and women everywhere. I don't know if you get this connection, Providence Church, but, but this is our worship. We, we run to this place. We run to Jesus. Like, so burst out your, your timbrels and your lyres and your tambourines and your harps or whatever it is that you use to make music that praises God and tell Jesus of the great things that he has done for us. It's how what our worship team led us in this morning and this, this evening and kind of leading us towards running towards Jesus and saying, you are good. You are faithful. You have never let me down and you never will. You've inspired faithfulness in the hearts of your people during a really hard couple of years. You've comforted us in times of loss, Jesus. You have provided a way for us to, to be able to worship together as a community from our homes when we couldn't even gather in this place. God, Jesus, you have reset our priorities. You have saved us from ourselves and saved us from our sin. So right now you might be feeling like round nine was, was too much for you. Like it's time to throw in the towel. But here's the thing. And it's the most simple thing that we can say to you over and over again, but God is with you. And God has been in your corner through all the early rounds, even when you felt like you were completely alone, even when he took the blow to the ribs, 
even when your ears were ringing. And Jesus is coming close. Jesus is here. Followers of Jesus, when you give your life to him, Jesus dwells in you. And the Bible says, greater is he who is in you. In fact, the writer of 1 John recognized the existence of of darkness and the manifestations of evil that are present in this world, and we don't deny them. And we can name them now, and things like coronavirus and illness and sicknesses and racism and, and general division in our society. But John would say this, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome these things because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And when God is in your corner, you go as many rounds as it takes. So I wanna invite you, if you feel like you're laying out on the mat right now, to take a breath, to receive grace and mercy from God and to get up because God is is ahead of you and God is around you. And if there's another round for you to go through, Jesus is the living proof that you are not alone, that God is in your corner.